This is Neon Radio, episode 177 with Taro Isakapila. Welcome to Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. What is up, my fellow Neonites? Your host, Nick Onkin here. And we've got another episode this week with one of my favorite people. His name is Taro, and he's the founder of the mushroom brand for Sigmatic. And I met Taro about a year and a half ago or two years. Yeah, probably about a year and a half ago. And uh, we met through my buddy Craig. And he is a mushroom guru. And I am all about the mushrooms these days. And uh, he took us to Finnish Lapland in January, which was epic. He's from Finland. And he wanted to take a couple groups of us up there to kind of show us what it's like. We went chaga mushroom hunting and foraging. We went and saw reindeer. We went dog sledding and ice fishing. Saw the Northern Lights, slept in the Glass Igloo Hotels. It was a really beautiful experience. We experienced the sauna, which is a huge Scandinavian, especially uh, Finnish thing. He took us for an amazing experience, but I love talking to Taro. He's like, he's so smart. He knows so many things, especially in the mushroom world from, from regular mushrooms to psilocybin and the magic mushrooms. And we talked all things in that space, health, healthy mushrooms, how to cook mushrooms, how to not cook mushrooms, how you should cook mushrooms because you can't eat them raw. They have a special coating on them that keeps the nutrients out. You have to cook that down. So there's lots of things that we talk about. It's super fascinating. And we started talking about a lot of the new uh, research in psilocybin therapy. And I myself love the magic mushrooms and experienced a lot of healing through, through them. So without further ado, I bring to you Mr. Tarot. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the show. Today, we have my friend Taro, and we are in his hotel room at the Arlo (laughs) Soho. We're actually looking down at the models working down at that dog pound, you know, just right below us. it's the most random place. I'm I'm sure they probably gave you this room for a reason. Yeah, I was like, (laughs) oh, I'll give him that room, yeah. (laughs) I love it. Taro is, we have had some fun adventures together. He's the founder of Four Sigmatic and all things mushrooms, writes books, speaks all over the world. I mean, he is an all-around amazing, inspirational man. And today we're gonna dive into mushrooms, health, creativity, and everything around that. Yeah. So welcome to the show. Thank you, I'm glad we got to do this. Yeah, so let's jump into a little of your story of how you got it, like how, you're from Finland, mm-hmm. how you got interested and started into the whole world of mushrooms and how that kind of has developed into Four Sigmatic and then we'll go from there. Sure, so I grew up in Finland, small country in Northern Europe and I'm a 13 generation family farmer and my mom taught physiology and anatomy and my dad was obsessed with soil and through that I learned and I went to an environmental school that my great-granddad helped to found so basically as a kid in elementary school learned how to forage 
and then later studied chemistry and nutrition and went on and gallivant around the world. <laughs> but yeah, I guess the origin mostly comes from, like with anyone else, we are products of our environment, right? So mm -hmm. like wherever you grow up or whatever influence you have, that obviously makes you as a person. And you got the chance to visit Finland, so. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, it's a, like pretty mellow, nature-centric, kind of quiet, but also like quite like spiritual in a some some way. Mm -hmm. I think the creativity and inspiration comes from nature, mm -hmm. and I'm the same. I love it. I love it. Finnish Lapland was amazing. So we we went back in January. Mm -hmm. Taro and Four Sigmatic took us out there, a group of us, and it was such a fun time. I mean, it is Finnish Lapland. Oddly enough, it was on my bucket list for so mm -hmm. long. I've seen so many pictures and so many things. We got to hang out with reindeer and dog sledding and northern lights and it was just such a beautiful time and, and we got to learn about the Amanita Mascara mushroom yeah. which you wrote a book about. Mm -hmm. We'd love to hear, tell the audience a little bit more about the book, the Amanita Mascara mushroom and how the Santa Claus story was kind of fabric or told. So yeah, I've written a few books, one philosophy book, one cookbook and one children's book and this is a children's <laughs> book about the origins of Santa Claus and the true origins of Santa Claus, not the commercial version that is told to us. And it comes from the last official indigenous culture left in Europe called the Sami. And the Sami people, it's, it's like eight, 10,000 year old story. And at the center of it, I'm not gonna go through the whole story here, <laughs> is a mushroom called Amanita muscaria, which sounds like a really odd mushroom, sometimes known as a fly agaric. And the fly agaric is the world's most famous mushroom that nobody really knows. But you've seen it everywhere. And I think anybody creative listening soon after this, you'll probably start noticing it everywhere. But it is the mushroom emoji. So yeah. it is the red mushroom with the white dots. It is the mushroom that Super Mario eats. It is the mushroom, you know, Jefferson Airplane White Rabbit. It is on Disney movies, you start watching Snow White or whatever, and suddenly <laughs> you start noticing this everywhere. And it is the only legal psychedelic in the United States, except Tennessee, they banned it. Oh, yeah. didn't even realize that. Yeah, it is a legal psychedelic, but it is a, quite a dark one and maybe not the, the happy, positive one that those psilocybin mushrooms often people describe as, so. Yeah. But yeah, it grows in, Northern Hemisphere actually grows in a lot of places in the U.S. as well, but Lapland has a lot of them, and it's very important for the Sami. And you know, we were there in the winter, so it's not like ideal mushroom picking season when it's like minus thirty nine degrees outside. <laughs> By the way, I have to say that we're just talking with the Finnish guys who were on that trip, and so basically, it was the coldest it got was minus thirty nine, and it was like consistently minus ten, minus twenty Fahrenheit, and. The, there was a point when I feel like you guys kind of assume that it's normal for us and it's it's not quite <laughs> normal for us to be at minus 39. So maybe at zero, yeah, or minus five. But when it was like minus 20 where we were freezing and they're like, <laughs> I, mean, I felt like you guys assume it's like, oh, it's every day like this. Like, no, it's not normal. Oh man, I mean, it was, there was one point I think we hit, we came out at, there was that crest where all the, it was kind of like the, it was like the Arctic tundra. And I think yeah. with the wind chill, it was like negative 55. Yeah. So oh, the wind for sure it, yeah. affects, and there's some valleys where kind of it sits in a certain way, it's even colder. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, with, with the wind, it, it, I mean, it's even worse. 
Wow. Yeah, it was, it was definitely probably the coldest place I've ever been. However, maybe not the norm. Yeah, not the norm. But yeah, there's a mushroom that is a cultural cornerstone for not only for the Sami, for us. We got to thank Santa Claus story partly of this mushroom, but also many other stories. And I feel like mushrooms have helped this mystical, creative part in a lot of, a lot of our stories and a lot of the amazing creatives we look up to, but then maybe in the last generation or two, it's kind of been forgotten. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think, it's, I think it's coming back now. I think more and more of these, you know, mind-expanding substances that are non-addictive mm-hmm. are coming back into the creative world as, a, as an outlet to find inspiration. Yeah, I mean, that's funny, because actually a lot of them are being shown to like actually cure addictions and things mm-hmm. like that which is fascinating but I feel like you see some like especially now and I mean since I've been kind of journeying down that road a little bit more I've kind of been open to like the creative world and you see it in movies you mm-hmm. see it you know and like especially like yeah like say like Star Wars you tap mm-hmm. into these like you tap into the forest right and, like I feel like some of these things take you you see the matrix and you see like things outside of that yeah for sure I think what I said is that they've been forgotten, but not by everyone. I think there's definitely been certain people that have been very tapped into that. And in general, like spirituality without necessarily the organized religion version of God. So I think a lot of, let's say, indigenous cultures or, you know, rituals, I think many creatives have been tapping into that wisdom and that like kind of, for lack of a better word, vibration for inspiration on storytelling. I was just lucky enough to spend, like a month ago, I went to New Mexico, spend time with some of the grandmothers of different indigenous cultures. And it's fascinating because a lot of their stories are told through animals, mm. dreams. And yeah, if I would make a children's movie, I would definitely, like there's so many stories there <laughs> that when they tell stories and dreams and visions of the earth and lessons, they always have lessons. Yeah. Though, so if I would make a children's movie, you have animals, there's a storyline, there's a dream, and then there's a lesson at the end. That's yeah. pretty dope. Yeah. If you start to look at a lot of those children's movies, like mm. that's kind of what they are. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think the lessons at the end and the teachings are always so important mm-hmm. versus like taking it down. Yeah. Now, rewind a little bit. I wanna, I wanna kind of just talk about the, the health mushrooms before we jump into like the, <laughs> the you know, cause like Four Sigmatic you started and it's all about the, you know, lion's mane and reishi and mm-hmm. chaga and some of these like inner health and, and body health type of mushrooms. Maybe we can just get a little bit of, of rundown which each one does and maybe how they can help elevate creativity and elevate body. Yeah, if we take a couple steps back, mushrooms or fungi are a kingdom so in biology, their kingdom is like the highest classification. So there's animals, plants, bacteria, fungi, and various single-cell creatures. So, so when something is a kingdom, it's not good or bad. We often say that something is good or bad. Kingdom is such a high classification that you will have both good and bad things. There's animals that can you know, help us and hurt us. There's plants that can kill us and heal us. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean that plants are good. It's just They just are. And then same with mushrooms. Whereas I think a lot of people often look at them as either positive or negative. Right. And mushrooms or fungi used to be part of the same super kingdom as animals a long time ago, which kind of leads to the point that we're very prone to mushroom diseases, such as 
you know, candida or mold in buildings. You know, buildings have mold. Mold is a fungi, and we're sensitive to it. But we're also very, like, mushroom medicine or mushroom benefits are quite bioavailable to human beings. So that's mm. why a lot of pharmaceuticals, like almost like half of all the pharmaceuticals, use fungi, mm. and. And that kind of jumps into these like health benefits of mushrooms. So, so when people think of mushrooms, they often think of like your portobello mushroom, which are known as culinary mushrooms, things that you eat for flavor, and they have fiber and protein and some, you know, vitamins. So they're like, you know, that's why I think a lot of people think they are like vegetables because they are kind of like that. Like there's low calories, no cholesterol. So if you eat vegetables, you get very little calories, but a lot of mm. nutrients. So that's like, I guess like comparable, and those grow on the ground. But then when we talk about these functional mushrooms, mushrooms like superfood mushrooms, yeah, like reishi, chaga lion's mane, they tend to grow on trees,、mm. and they're not bioavailable. Like you shouldn't eat mushrooms raw in general, but these ones you really have to cook. They grow on trees, and they feel like part of the tree. And then you cook it like almost like a bone broth, and it becomes this. I hate the word medicine because it kind of implies that you're sick, but like sacrament、mm. or or like a healing tonic, a potion that comes out of it once you cook it. It's like you cook like almost like make tea、yeah. with it, and then you can use it in you know soups and broths and coffee and tea and cocoa, and you can make it into a powder that then you could use in. We use it in protein, and I would say when you start to go in that rapid hole, it can get overwhelming. You're、yeah. like, I don't know anything. I just know shiitake. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> so what do I like? Oh, there's all these, and the names are not easy, like reishi and chaga, and you're like, wow. So I would just say is like, don't try to learn. Just learn three. Like,、yeah. don't try to learn the mushroom number ten or twenty or fifty or hundred two. Yeah. The top three is chaga mushroom. C H A G A is known as the king of all mushrooms.、Uh-huh. It's super high in antioxidants, so like one cup of that could equal to like thirty pounds of carrots in antioxidants, and it really is good for immunity and good for your skin. So I kind of call it the force field in a cup, but it's something you would take in the morning, ideally, or when you are, you know, want to protect your support your immunity. So、yeah. morning or protecting your immunity, chaga. Yeah, force field in a cup, and then the one that has become incredibly popular now, just in the last few years, is lion's mane mushroom.、Mm. Lion's mane also grows in trees, and it's like what monks used to use for meditation, and like it's really like your brain's best friend type of a mushroom. And that one you would use when you want to perform, you know, be it afternoon when you want to be creative. There's pretty amazing kind of studies on that one. And the third one is reishi, which is known as the queen of all mushrooms. R e i s h i. A lot of these names are chaga is a Russian name, reishi is a Japanese name, shiitake and oki are Japanese names. So a lot of them come from kind of like cold, cold places. And so yeah, reishi is like the most grounding, motherly, nurturing, calming mushroom. So that would be something you take in the evening. So chaga morning or immunity and. Lion's mane afternoon or when you want to perform, and reishi is in the evening or whenever you feel like kind of like stressed out. Yeah, I have to try start trying some lion's mane in the afternoons because I usually hit this like slump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's what the focus shots made out.、Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, for sure. Yeah, those are great. Why shouldn't you eat mushrooms raw? Well, 
Actually, a lot of things in nature don't want to be eaten, including plants. There's these like phytochemicals and things that like they want to protect themselves and they have almost like a shield to protect them. They don't want to be eaten. And uh, mushrooms kind of probably for that same evolutionary reason have a structure called chitin. Mm. And we humans lack, chitin is like the same compound that makes the lobster shell. So the shell of a lobster or shrimp is basically what the mushroom have. So in order to do it, you have to kind of apply heat and lipids. And that's why probably indigenous people would cook soup or tea with it. Or why is a Michelin star chef cooks mushrooms, sautés them in butter. So like you get heat and lipids Mm. and that kind of unlocks not only the flavor and removes toxicity, but also improves the bioavailability of the health benefits. And so for them, heat doesn't destroy them. For them, heat helps. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. That's yeah. a, I mean, I do when I like, when I'm cooking, I'll have like, I'll eat, sneak a couple before I throw them on the pan, but maybe that's not a good idea. Well, it's not like, <laughs> um, some mushrooms, it can be dangerous unless you cook them, but it's not like the end of the world. You're just not benefiting from it really. Okay. Gotcha. I'm a big fan of maitake mushrooms. Me too. I mean, I've had the chance to eat some of the fanciest, most expensive mushrooms in the world, but I think from a flavor point of view, well, well-prepared maitake is probably on my top of my list. Yeah. If you get it really crispy, especially that one, if you cook it like really crispy, or, yeah. you know, air fried or whatever, and then it's pretty amazing. Yeah, we've cooked it, put it in a foil, mm-hmm. and then like drizzle olive mm-hmm. oil and put some garlic in there and then bake it in the oven. Mm-hmm. Turns out pretty amazing. Yeah, sounds <laughs> amazing. <laughs> what are some of the like the most expensive mushrooms that you've eaten? That are well, there's definitely on the truffle side, you know, like the probably the most ancient dish that you can get that is is like in Italy, like truffa pasta. It's yeah. like basically like specific like black truffle pasta. And oh, that's okay. pretty expensive. I won an innovation award for like discovering this like machotaki variety, and machotaki is also can be like kind of like the truffle for the Japanese. Yeah. By the way, taki, shiitake, maitake. Machotaki, the taki means mushroom in Japanese. Oh. And maitake means the dancing mushroom. Oh. Mai means dance in Japanese. And it comes from the fact that like, the samurais were apparently otherwise very stoic creatures. They would start dancing out of joy when they found this maitake mushroom in the forest. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You are like a wealth of knowledge. It's so amazing. I don't know what I do with that. You know, it's like when you know that the origins of why does a mushroom called the dancing mushroom, I don't know how does it help me in the society. Yeah. So what does shiitake mean? It's a type of a tree that it grows in. Ah, okay. So it's like kind of a hardwood tree. Although now it grows on more like oaks and other things i think like the most studies the healthiest she talks are in oaks it's like a yeah. particular type of a tree yeah i love that i love that so how have you found mushrooms to to open up your creativity and, and remove blocks and things like that maybe this goes more into like the more magical side of things. yeah i I, th- I actually doesn't necessarily i don't i don't think I think those like psychedelics, they're like the ultimate black belt. And, you know, sometimes if you're really stuck, maybe you use them in the beginning as like a starting point. But I think a lot of people, when they want to be creative or productive, they result into the linear solution. So I am tired. I need energy, right? Mm -hmm. So I need to be like 
jack up caffeine crazy, right? So that would be like the normal solution most people have. And I think now more and more people are realizing that maybe if I'm tired, I should meditate more. Mm. But for productivity and creativity, I'll just give a couple things that I've noticed both with myself and I used to do nutritional coaching with like high performers is that your immunity and gut health, which are very linked by the way, and those like all very yeah. similar things. If, if you're constantly inflamed or sick or you, you have digestive issues, you often, your body is in this shock mode, which is almost in this like fight or flight mode. And it's hard to be creative in that. It's almost like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like if your base layer is not okay, it's hard to achieve you know, self-actualization. So although some of the best art in the world has come from suffering and misery, not to say that, <laughs> but nevertheless, like it's usually a little bit harder to be creative if you're like panicking over the fundamentals in life. And without you knowing, if you have issues with your immunity, gut health, your body might be in constant panic yeah. and constantly struggling. So it also takes your brain and your soul kind of away from being fully free and embracing. So I find a lot of people, especially people who are chronically get the flu or have kind of like stomach aches, struggle being a creative. And I think that's where mushrooms can really help. I've gone over a decade without being sick one day and I, that alone gives me a lot of time a lot, wow. a lot of time, and it's not just mushrooms, it's also the sauna and the cold plunge and other things. But. Oh yes. So I think that's something that is pretty fascinating. The other part is stress. So a lot of these best mushrooms belong to this group called adaptogens. There's also herbs like roots and berries that are adaptogenic, and what they do is they help your body to restore balance and adapt to stress. And what I've noticed is some of the best creative boosters are are not linear, like I said. They don't like try to go after it, but they calm your body. And when you're like peaceful and calm, you usually get a lot more creative. So um, sometimes when you wanna, for example, be creative and you, let's say you meditate, sometimes you actually get to a better kind of zone mm -hmm. because you kind of lock in and you're laser focused, but completely calm. Yeah. And I think that's what roots like ashwagandha or mushrooms like reishi can really be helpful with. So sure, there's mushroom-like lion's mane that can directly help with, you know, your cognitive side of the house. But yeah. I think there's a lot to be said about gut health and stress. Mm -hmm. And if your gut health and stress and your immunity are in check, then you usually end up being more creative. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting you talk about like this fight or flight because we spend, even a lot of times I feel like our subconscious jumps into, like you could be like feeling normal, but your subconscious is still in a mm -hmm. fight or flight situation. So, so yeah, getting to a place where you're like, you're not worrying about that is hugely, like helps you access creative. You know way more creatives than I do, but I find that a lot of them leave places like LA and New York to go somewhere in the woods or nature or even, I don't know, Burning Man. But you leave this city environment somewhere off to get that inspiration. And I think one of the things what happens is that like here we're so like constantly stimulated and wired. Yeah. And you you can't break the boundaries as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, getting out of New York is probably one of the, the, the biggest things that keeps me fresh mm -hmm. as a creative. Like, I think just doing the grind here. You know, there is a certain energy here that, that I've been inspired by. Oh. 
for sure. Without a doubt. But I have to get out. I have to get but out of nature. But it's almost too <laughs> get to much of an energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's exciting, though. I mean, it's, it's, I think, the balance of everything. And you live in L.A., right? Mm-hmm. But you travel. I mean, I can't even keep up with your schedule. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every time every time I see your Instagram, you're, like, in some outer reach of the world in some beautiful space in nature. Mm-hmm. And do you, I mean, you travel more for uh, for fun and, like, to get out. and, and For life. For life. It's life. a philosophy. Yeah. What is, what is your philosophy around travel? I actually have a love-hate relationship with travel. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure everybody who has traveled a lot can probably relate to this. So a little sidebar tangent, but when I was like, we have to go to the military in Finland, everybody has to go. I was in the Air Force, and then you get out, I'm like, whatever, 19, and I feel like everything I believe might be bullshit because I learned it from my parents and my friends and from TV and pop culture, and it's like, what was truly authentic to me? And I started doing all these like self-exploration, self-discovery work. And part of that, one of the most helpful things I did, I asked my aunts and uncles on like, what, how was I before the world kind of impacted me as a kid? What was my spirit compared to my brother, for example? It's like, how did I behave? Do you know this concept called tapula rasa? No. It's like blank slate, basically like that. And not everybody believes in it, but the theory is that you're born as a blank slate like a blank Uh, canvas, mm -hmm. and then slowly you start to paint whatever you paint, right? Or by what what the society and the environment paints. Mm -hmm. And they've, you know, there's studies with twins and, you know, everything around that. But before my painting was like, when it was mostly white, like what was there? (laughs) Well, the first strokes and stuff. And they all said that I was like obsessed with the map. I was obsessed with maps and like that we have this like, globe of the world and I started learning all the world's countries and cities and I just I think I've always had this curiosity of the world and space and I think that was what originally drew me to travel is Mm. this like adventure mindset so I think sometimes you have to go far to see what's right in front of you and that was at least my experience yeah and it's given me a lot of perspective and a lot of learning but at the same time it's kind of in a way, it's kind of shitty for for yourself and your health, but also like <laughs> air travel, especially, is pretty bad for the world. So I like I used to like do short trips, and now I'm trying to like stay longer in a place, mm. like and go to less places and stay longer. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, that's like such a, a duality. I think it is and, a duality. And, 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 I mean, it is also it's a luxury to be able to travel too. Oh, for and sure. It's like this. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, and and staying home and resting is, I think it's almost the new luxury for a certain <laughs> demographic yeah. of people I've, I've encountered a lot recently. Mm-hmm. But how do you manage to stay healthy while traveling, while on the road? Like, do you have any practices? I mean, do you meditate every day? Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, obviously you probably take certain mushroom mm-hmm. supplements and and foods and different things, but how do you manage that on the road? Yeah, I have tons of stuff. I think the number one is circadian rhythm is probably like the key mm-hmm. point, so sunlight. So I try to do my best to, you know, live by the sun wherever I am. And that kind of ties into the other part, which is sleep, which is infamously I do poorly in New York. But um, it's easy to do. It's easy yes. To do. But yeah, sleep is kind of yeah underrated. And when you get to a new place, you're stimulated by the excitement of a new place usually. 
but like finding ways to decompress. So for me, it's like napping is like one of my number one things. I try to nap every single day, home or travel, but in travel, it like it's even more valuable. But yeah, decompressing somehow, living by the elements, particularly the sun, getting into water if possible is, yeah. is I find that super helpful. If there's a hot spring, if there, you can jump into cold water, I find that like incredibly helpful. Hydration is super important. And then a lot of people, when they go on trips, they're like on vacation, so they don't care what they eat. But when you change your bacterial environment, it's almost more important to take care of it. So sometimes I consume copious amounts of various supplements. I don't actually take that many supplements at home, but when I travel, I, it's kind of like my insurance policy. And you know, I don't know, maybe it hasn't helped me that much right. because it's like an insurance policy, but I definitely like re-up on stuff. And if I go to a restaurant somewhere, I'm like, I'm trying to get like vitamin C and ginger shots and things like that <laughs> when I travel, like extra much. Yeah. But yeah, at home, I don't really take that many supplements outside of maybe some like protein yeah. powders. What about meditation? I have this also this love-hate relationship with meditation. I think that the principle is so valuable. It's one of the most valuable things you can do. You know, call it mindfulness or, you know, being present. For me, sitting meditation has been kind of tough. And I like sound baths. I like, I like trail running by myself. Like mm. there's other forms that get me to a meditative state better than a sitting meditation to me. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do it. But I think the main point is finding empty space. Like we often book our calendars so full is that there is no empty space. And then when we're off, even when we have free time, we consume it with Instagram or videos or TV or whatever thing is. Yeah. And in the simplest form, cooking at, when I'm at home, that's kind of, for me, when I just put music on and I cook, Yeah. It's, that's to me is like, a great like empty space or gives this bandwidth and to decompress and i think our dreams are that as well is like in our dreams we are decompressing the day kind of making sense of it all yeah yeah absolutely love that now let's move into some some magic yeah <laughs> well, you just had a recent experience i did i did i went to rhythmia which you know of and you've mm -hmm. i don't think you've been there but you know you know about it i did ayahuasca for the first time mm -hmm. plant medicines it, which was amazing and it's funny because i've been doing some very ceremonial mushroom mm -hmm. psilocybin journeys over the last like six months ish or eight months mm -hmm. and so i even up to heroic five gram doses so when i did ayahuasca at rhythmia it was Were you nervous not not really no i think because i had been doing mm -hmm. psilocybin stuff I, it kind of gave me a little bit of context as mm -hmm. to like a psychedelic journey but the first night there's four nights of, mm -hmm. of ceremony and Which so is a lot it's a lot, but I think you need at least two to three nights yeah. to do it for the first time because there's a lot to get done. Yeah, um, and it's a very and it's sometimes hard to drop in if you sort of suddenly fly from New York to <laughs> Costa Rica and suddenly you're there. And yeah, it's like, it takes a moment to. It does. I mean, they start out with breath work, mm -hmm. so they do breath work the first night, and mm -hmm. then do four nights of ceremony, and then a night of breath work at the at the tail end. And breath work has been like a huge integration piece. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just did a couple podcasts on it, uh, or one podcast last week, because breath work has been a huge integration piece. I did DMT last year, mm -hmm. five MEO, mm -hmm. and I was like, I didn't know what to. I couldn't integrating back 
it was like really difficult and breath work can was anyone though <laughs> i mean <laughs> i mean it's a blast through the universe yeah but, uh, breath work is something that's helped me integrate sure ayahuasca was very it's interesting like i feel like mushrooms psilocybin is kind of like your younger like your five-year-old self going mm. to play in your subconscious and mm. if you do it in the right context right set setting and all of that it's like a like playful beautiful mm. journey ayahuasca is more like the mother energy like okay we're gonna go do some work and you're like talking you know you have a direct channel to mm. to the medicine and you can ask questions and like and she'll take you where she needs to go and so it's it different but it was i mean it was all beautiful and in, in of its own right mm-hmm. but you've done ayahuasca before mm-hmm. what was your experience well I think you said it well, and just, I guess my one disclaimer in the beginning is that like, words are the lowest form of communication in my opinion, and whenever I've tried to explain any of these experiences verbally, I probably not come to even close to giving them justice. Yeah. So, to give you a couple, at least, angles in my experience and what I've seen is, well, smoking DMT, 5-MeO DMT is like, it just shows what's possible. There's not really work done. And yeah. like you said, the integration is like, how do you, how the F do you integrate that? <laughs> yeah, it's like where, what just happened? But it, it just shows what is possible. Yeah. It's like some people say that it takes you to the top of the mountain, to the mountain of wisdom on a high-speed elevator lets you watch it for a minute or two and then takes you back to the bottom of the mountain. But you're at the bottom of the mountain, you know? Yeah, yeah. You went to the up and you saw what was like (laughs) up there, but then you're like, came back down. So so I think ayahuasca, which is DMT, but when consumed to a drink or or mushrooms, they are longer time span. So there's like, and, and ayahuasca is even longer. So there's more time it's more hours to work on Mm -hmm. and then you do it multiple nights and so more work can be done and i think mushrooms are more playful more loving more nurturing so i think if 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 you have a little bit of like let's say you're a little down and you don't know kind of where that i think you know in my experience mushrooms offer a really beautiful supportive nurturing experience yeah in creative and we can talk about the kind of the science of it later but it is like optimistic usually. Honest sometimes, you know, gives you gives you the real, yeah. the real real, but yeah. at the end of the day, like kind of supportive. And I think DMT or ayahuasca mm-hmm. can be darker, can maybe deal more with the life and death element, mm-hmm. versus I feel like mushrooms are more focused, I mean, as well can do that, but more focused on maybe on our connection with nature. Yeah. And I think ayahuasca is probably more around like life, death, after the world. You can kind of go into a deeper state. And um, I think with mushrooms, you're always a little bit there, even if on a higher higher dose, like there's like, it's still seen through the eyes of your experience. Mm. And I think with ayahuasca, you can, you can real go to another place. You can like get more detached, yeah. but you have more time with it, so. I mean, I think there's just different types of teachers. Yeah, and they're all relevant, right? They all teach you in different ways. And yeah. But they do, re- they, they in a sense will help rewire your subconscious. Was it physically, I know you said you purged on the last night, but was it physically hard for you, from your body, to go through those four days? 
Yeah, like definitely like, I, you know, probably a lot of it is like you're, you're up till like three, four mm-hmm. in the morning and you're like, you're really doing work, right? Like your brain's probably yep. like cognitively fatigued from like working and going through this whole like processing and, you know, doing the whole thing for the whole night. So yeah, definitely like felt tired, felt like my body was going through it. Yeah. And I think that's part of the the lesson of that is that it does also physically break you a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you become more vulnerable. Yeah. And then it opens you up. Right? Yeah, it's exactly. deeper. Because it kind of breaks down your barriers a little bit. Now, I mean, I, I like uh, yeah, kind of the science, or you're talking about more of the science side of, mm-hmm. of things with uh, in relation to creativity. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I... I, I overly simplistically again words don't probably describe it I think there's inflow and outflow inflow is when you get new inspiration from the external world you get inspired and that probably helps with your creativity and I think mushrooms are doing more of that and then there's outflow when you have blockages when you prevent yourself to be creative you already have the inspiration inside of you but you're your worst enemy and you block it because of whatever limiting belief or patterns that don't support you and I think that's probably like something like ayahuasca is more helpful but if we focus on the mushroom side so basically we have these like neural pathways in our brain and if you think of your neural pathways in your brain let's take every highway in America is a way how your brain can like talk to each other right and as a kid apparently the research kind of the latest research shows is like if we don't use certain neural pathways they get kind of blocked Hmm. and that makes sense i remember when one of my first classes in like late 80s early 90s i went as a kid to my mom's class on physiology and she was saying is like every living organism from a seaweed to a a rabbit to a human the number one goal is to survive every Hmm. living organism starts with the function of survival once they've survived their goal is to usually conserve energy Mm-hmm. So this is what like a lot of living organisms do. They rest or they conserve energy for the time when they have to, again, try to survive. So that's a common principle. So if that is true for us humans, it makes sense that as a kid, we have all these highways in our brain open. And then whatever we use or don't use, like those what we use stay open and what we don't use get blocked. So you put mm-hmm. a, like a roadblock on it. So did people hug you as a kid? And like, were you like laughing a lot? Were you more serious? Did you follow rules? You know, in those first three to five years or whatever, you get, you get like custom to who you are, right? And what seems to happen under psilocybin particularly is this neuroplasticity that you can also achieve through other ways, including meditation and other things like that. But seems to be in the psilocybin it's this extreme neuroplasticity quite yeah. quite rapid and quite seems to be quite permanent as well yeah. a lot of the studies show that even the year after there's like permanent change but what happens is that suddenly all these highways become open again they remove the roadblocks and you can go through whatever highway you want this time so you can enter places quite literally outside the box and I, I know an executive of a very famous American company and basically the head of that company. And he said he would not do any strategic decision without taking psilocybin. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So why is, why is that? Because it probably allows them a fresh perspective. 
you become more sensitive. So your eyes, your pupils, your smell, your hearing, like your eyesight definitely like becomes more, you see things more clearly. You're more zoned in. Mm -hmm. You know, there's parts of the brains that get shut down that are like, then other parts get hyper analytic or hyper sensitive. Yeah. That might be one. The other part might be one that you can, some people say you can tap into universal knowledge. That's a more way to think, but then that, <laughs> is the experience outside of our body that we tap into, and, and that's a belief, but obviously no way to prove that. But then, yeah, yeah you have more brain activity. That we know for sure. Mm -hmm. Like there's so much studies on, on brain scans and scanning the brain with or without psilocybin. Like your brain just gets way more active. So if you're able to use whatever 5% of your brain on a day-to-day basis, under mushrooms, you're consuming like way more. Yeah. Yeah. Now, are we talking about like a microdose that this person would take, or are we talking about more of like a, a full, bigger well, dose? Well, the thing is that the microdose stuff is still quite unproven. A lot of the um, mushroom research is on, you know, if you look at John Hopkins, NYU, or Imperial College, probably the three leading research centers, especially Imperial, Robert Carhart Harris, and John Hopkins, Ron Griffith. They usually do it on a blindfold, you know, a higher dose, laying down. It's like, the, yeah. there's a lot to be said about the set and the setting. So what does that mean? Is like, where are you when you take those mushrooms? And what is the kind of the setting that you're surrounded with? And in, when you do clinical research, you have to keep a standardized set and setting. You can't just have that like, you go out in the woods, somebody does yeah. it in Tulum, somebody does it in New York City, they might have a very different experience. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So probably for that reason as well, they end up usually giving a little more, or placebo, so either one, or they usually give like niacin as a placebo. Niacin is a, is a B vitamin that makes you kind of like, not itchy, but like, it will give you a physical reaction without any psychoactive property. It oh, just gives you this like little tingle. And then they, they're like, oh, what did you feel? Did you, you know, like, did you feel one with the universe and stuff? <laughs> so you felt a little body sensation, but it's vitamin B, you know, right. B1. So, so oh, that's like a common way how they usually do that. Or like a caffeine pill or something like, so you feel something but it's not psychoactive. And then the other people get the psychoactive. And, they, and then I said, what, what was your experience? So. Yeah. Yeah, no, you talk, we talked earlier about like the different dosages, like one gram, two grams, three grams, five grams, and then 15 grams. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell, tell us what like kind of the differences in the dosages? Yeah, so with all mushrooms, first of all, it depends what part of the mushroom are using. Usually the, the part that you should be using is the fruiting body, or sometimes in the case of mushrooms, a truffle, which is like the version before the fruiting body. And what, uh, is, what is that actually? Like, you mean like caps and stems kind of thing? No, the cap and the stem are part of the fruiting body, but there is like a pre, mushrooms have a life cycle like anything else. You have the roots, like often like an apple tree is like, you got the seed of the apple tree that creates the roots of the apple tree that creates the trunk of the apple tree and then finally you get the fruit yeah and the fruit is the apple right so okay. in this case like the the cap and the stem is the apple okay and then there's seeds and stuff so yeah basically you want to get that and then is it dried or not so if it's wet then it has water but usually when people talk about dosages they almost always talk about fruiting bodies dried yeah because that is the most controllable way mm -hmm. and then with the truffle 
you just have this usually this like multiplier like the truffle is five times less effective so if you take a gram of dried fruiting bodies that would equal to five grams of truffles or something like that but you, okay. i think the that truffles get, is with the water truffles have water and it's like less concentrated amounts of this psilocybin but let's just assume that you were talking mostly it's always fruiting body dried yep. but when people talk about grams you still should know that if it had water or not because it dramatically oh absolutely it. or yeah. if it was a truffle or if it was the fruiting body the other part is there's varieties like with anything there's like most people use this variety called psilocybin cubensis which is like a lighter easier and then there's like many hundreds of types of psychedelics and they have different strengths so again if somebody gives you a capsule you don't know a what's in that capsule how much is in that capsule what variety is in that capsule it's a little bit of a black box right but for that cubensis like microdose is set to be depending on the human being how sensitive you are and what you weigh like 0.1 grams microdose is something that is sub perception and I find a lot of people who say they microdose, they actually feel something. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I felt it. But then it's not probably sub-perception. Like the microdose, you should not feel anything in that moment. Right. And then you would feel it long-term or you feel generally better, but mm-hmm. not, not actually feel it. And then a normal dose is, you know, anywhere from how, if you're sensitive to 0.5 grams to maybe one and a half, two grams, that would be let's say a gram is like a normal dose or maybe two grams is a big dose. And then they have this heroic dose, which is depending on the source is either four or five grams, which is this like dragons fly in and you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever deeper journey you melt into the grass type of a thing. But yeah. it's not a competition of like how many grams you take and you should have like with anything else, let's say alcohol, like the first time you get drunk as a teenager, you, you know, you don't know your limits. So like, yeah. you, you wanna probably like take it easy in the beginning. Exactly. So like have it with your parents, a glass of wine, see how you feel versus <laughs> buying a whole bottle of vodka and then puking and throwing up and having a not the best experience. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done some like three to five gram, mm-hmm. you know, journeys and I couldn't leave my house, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You just do it laying down with an eye mask and like a psychedelic therapy playlist. Yeah. And that's kind of how they do it. In most of the studies, they use a, a mask. There's one mask, particularly Mindfold, that they okay. use that completely, it's like pitch black. It's not like one of those oh, wow. sleep nap masks, but this one is like complete black. And then, yeah, there's a playlist from, from one of the researchers in Imperial who originally created this playlist. And it's just like a few hours of. It follows the journey, yeah, like the peak and the coming down and, and oh, wow. stuff. And yeah, a lot of classical music and stuff like that. Okay, yeah. I mean, this one has like strings. It has hand pan. It has like tribal vocals. Mm-hmm. It has like all different things. And I mean, it's like it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, as an artist, it's like the colors and the visuals. Mm-hmm. With an eye, even just with an eye mask, it's like beautiful. Yeah. It's so amazing, and I found like I've experienced like extreme like space of gratitude and like mm-hmm. love and emotional release and all kinds of beautiful things. Totally, but yeah, I mean, you were saying something about you were you were investing in, in psilocybin research and things like that. What do you think is the importance behind that? Well, step one is that I think mushrooms are a more intelligent 
organism that we currently understand or most of us understand and i've seen a lot of examples of that not just with psychedelics but like in many different ways i mean they can eat plastic and they can walk through a maze and slime mushrooms can i mean there's so many stories about that <laughs> but I, I i think because of the political climate in the last you know give it 40 years 50 years there's not a lot of research on them there's a lot of cultural history of using you know mushrooms but we don't have a lot of research so i think for the society it is important that we look at them especially after in the what has happened in the last 20 years that when there has been a little bit of research is that they're tackling pretty big problems like depression, addiction, things like that. Yeah. There's currently no proof that there would be a lethal dose around psilocybin. There's no proof that it would be addicting. Actually, your body gets used to it, so it's almost physiologically seems impossible. So if it's non-addicting and can overdose on it, and it could help us with, even, a, if, even if there's a 5% chance that it helps us with depression, or 5% chance that it, I mean, even a 1% chance that it helps with this. Yeah. And I think based on the initial studies, it's like 60% chance. <laughs> um, but even if it's like 1%, I think we as a society should research it in an intelligent, caring way and while following the laws that we have here and not to break laws. But I think, I think there's something there that you should look into. And unfortunately, it's quite expensive to conduct these research mm. and uh, most countries, and, but I think it's gonna explode. I mean, marijuana took in the US decades, yeah. but then it happened in an increasingly fast pace in the last few years. And I think this will happen faster than marijuana, but it's not gonna happen overnight. I think, I think there's for years the more research to be made before we know how it works and we feel comfortable and Though the society feels comfortable and yeah. it's some capacity making it allowed in under clinical setting or whatever it may be. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a whole resurgence to the movement. I mean, it, like the research kind of slowed down and now it's like picking back up. Oh yeah, so much. There's so many studies that have not come out yet from various universities that are gonna pop up very soon. So it's actually really exciting. Yeah, what does it take to make a study, like to be able to, like how much work has to be done to be able to, to bring a study to the public? So yeah, that, I'm, that just, just doesn't just go for psilocybin or anything like that. This goes with caffeine, this goes with alcohol, this goes with pharmaceuticals. Like conducting a study on humans is like particularly hard. Usually studies are done like in vitro or with rats. And then, you know, just because the human life is conceived as much more expensive. Yeah. But at the same time, like something to be truly safe, you want human tests eventually. So there's like a whole research pipeline on how do you get to it. But like right now, as it's used with human studies, it's like, one, you have to design the study, why you do it, why does it matter, why is it a big thing? So you want to probably go after something that is like meaningful, like depression or something. Yeah that is a big problem with the society. And then you have to get funding. And because this is considered like a schedule one substance, like it's illegal. So you can't just go buy it somewhere. First right. of all, that would not be a credible research because you know, like whoever's your drug dealer is like whoever, where did they get it from? Like, so right. it needs to be standardized and validated what it is that they're consuming. Because if you do a study on some random substance, they're like, well, how did you know what cost it? because you don't know what's in it. So, and then you have to do it in a legal setting if you're a university, NYU yeah. can't just like go and buy drugs at Washington Square Park 
at some dude and run a study on <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. So they have to buy it from the government, basically, or government-approved, you know, a partner, and then those prices for those like legal drugs is like sky high. It's a monopoly, and then it costs a lot of money. So it's like just buying them legally is so expensive. Yeah. And then you have to get peer reviewed. So like once you've conducted the study, you have a result, positive or negative, then you want to go and kind of go through the scientific community is was the research conducted in the right way? Was there enough people in it? Was there a placebo? Like, was it credible? How does this tie into the previous research? Does it align? And then like, mm -hmm. it gets hopefully published in a credible journal or something, and then kind of somebody else will continue from there. Yeah, It's a whole process that even if everything goes well and you have the money, it still takes years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge thing. I mean, it sounds like Tim Ferriss just moved most of his investment money into social yeah, research. Yeah, or he's donated a lot. He might have invested some, but it mostly like just donating money to yeah. uh, nonprofits and universities to do more research. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating realm. I just watched this. It was on... Uh, Netflix, it's like mm -hmm. how the mind works, mm -hmm. and they have like a whole episode on psychedelics, and that's cool. And it was it was interesting. I mean, you know, it's, it showed a bit of the research that's happening. You know, Michael Pollan was talking in there mm -hmm. quite a bit, and they showed some like things around like you know how your brain gets activated while mm -hmm. you're while you're on psychedelics, and it's fascinating stuff. I've been going down <laughs> that rabbit hole so much lately. <laughs> it's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, it all started with the Northern Lights. The Northern Lights, man. <laughs> they talk to you. They do. They dance. They talk to you. It's beautiful. The funny story is that, was it a first night in Lapland? There was some epic <laughs> Northern Lights. And it was it was a 10-hour jet lag. Like So it was we just got in there, and you just <laughs> stylishly slept through the Northern Lights. I even. slept through it. I, they, they even had the alarm, and I was like, "Why is this thing just like not going?" Because I didn't see it. Like you have to like, because you have to put the lights off and like go outside ideally. Yeah, yeah. As long as I've known, you're always like a, such a happy dude, <laughs> and you're always like so like chill. And then next breakfast, I've never seen you bummed out. You were so bummed <laughs> out. You're like kind of mad. I don't know, was it mad to yourself or someone? But like, you're always so smiling and happy and chill. But that was. That was the only time I've seen you like actually like pissed off or <laughs> sad. Or, I don't know what was the emotion, but you're like, I miss them. I was like, but, what? <laughs> but luckily, you got to see them later. So I was like, oh, so we should just pound it on the glass <laughs> on the igloo. <laughs> like, wake the fuck up. Yeah. yeah, I think we were all. A couple of us were all sleeping, but yeah, it was it was fun. So what's what's next on the horizon for you? I don't know. We're just doing my thing. Um, <laughs> I've been like on this like my rabbit hole has been tiny houses and cabins. Oh, we have tons of cabins by a farm that's sleek, and I want to build one or two more. And I've just been on on a cabin kick. That's been exciting. It's I have kind of another love hate relationship with Instagram. I've never been on Facebook or I don't have social media except the Instagram. But and I kind of sometimes feel like it's like a drug. But I found now like I follow all these like cabin off the grid Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's been fun. So I actually, I've been thinking of like, how can I do the more of it, of just maybe have like, just follow like <laughs> accounts that give you inspiration in I that way. That. 
But you know cabin uh, cabin porn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I follow that. They have a book. An oh, actual yeah. book. It's, oh, that's amazing. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. It's and really I grew cool. up with cabins. Like, literally, that was, like, how farm was cabins. And I observed as my dad built cabins. And, like, it's something that I'm, like, familiar with. But I haven't, like, the last 10 years, I haven't spent much brain capacity on thinking about <laughs> cabins. But now I'm, like, comparing A-frames. And obviously, <laughs> Finland and Scandinavia is, like, a great place for, like, some dope-ass cabins. Yeah. There's a lot of architecture as well. But yeah. Have you been to those in, in Sweden? They have those tree, oh, the tree houses. houses? Yeah, have you been I there? haven't. No, but a bunch of my friends have. They look amazing. The glass cube and all this. Oh, stuff. I want to go check those out. My the ultimate for me is the Ex Machina, where the you know that movie where oh, there's yeah. that that robot. So that hotel in Norway. Oh, that's a hotel. Yeah, it's a hotel. No if way. If you remember Terje from our trip, he's gone yeah. there, and it's just like. That hotel in Norway, that's pretty epic. Oh, man, that sounds amazing. I didn't know that was where it was filmed. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. Yeah, in a hotel in Norway. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, Sam and, Sam and Chelsea went over to the Swedish. Yeah, they went, to, they went to the tree hotel, and then they went to, I think they went to Lofoten as well. Yeah. You might like this guy, Anthony Gibbons. He's an architect out of London, yeah. and he makes these like amazing cabin tree houses. Oh, wow. There's one upstate, up in Willow. I mm-hmm. stayed at a few years ago. It's their Airbnb, mm-hmm. and it's like, it almost looks like a, one of those like Star Wars walking, mm-hmm. but it's like made out of wood, and it's like, but it's on a platform. It's up high. It's like this little cabin. I it's love beautiful. That. His his design is amazing. You should check his stuff out. Oh, that's amazing. But he does other for like he'll he'll do these other tree houses, and I don't know if they're like they might be just like designs, not actually mm-hmm. like built, but they're like kind of round up in trees, and like you can kind of walk circular in, inside of them. Wow. So I love tree houses too. Yeah. Super cool. There's, yeah, there's something magical about them. Yeah, so one last question. Sure. What does the phrase live inspiration mean to you? Live inspiration. Yeah. Well, you do you. It's, I guess, like, live inspiration, like, you should live your life your way. Yeah. Not other people's life their way or your life their way. And have courage. I think there's a lot of courage in that Mm. inspiration because like you have the courage to do the thing that is exciting. Inspiration often is exciting. There's like an uplifting energy, but there's something unfamiliar about it. Maybe you're scary or a little bit like unknown. The hero's journey. You go from the known to the unknown. I think yeah, there's there's a courage there. It's a very good question. Yeah. Yeah, um, means living your life your way yeah. with courage. I love that. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And speaking of Instagram, love, hate, where can people find you on the um, Instagram? On the, the gram. On the gram. I am Tarot, T-E-R-O. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Thanks. <laughs> Alrighty, folks, thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Neon Radio with Taro Isukapila. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and I hope you love shrooms as much as I do. 
as much as you enjoyed this episode and all the good things. I would love it if you could help me out by leaving us a good review over at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, share it out. The uh, short link is neonradio.com slash EP177. That's N-I-O-N. If you haven't done so, go over to the Neon Life quiz over at neonlife.com slash quiz. Fill out the 10 question survey. We'll serve you up some free content to help you out in your creative journey. You can also follow us over at Neon Life at Neon Life on Instagram and I-O-N-L-I-F-E. And I am at Nick Onken on Instagram if you want to follow me there. All right. You know what time it is. It's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment. And we'll see you next time. Next time.